Welcome to the Law Firm Growth Podcast, where we share the latest tips, tactics, and strategies for scaling your practice from the top experts in the world of growing law firms. Are you ready to take your practice to the next level? Let's get started. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Law Firm Growth Podcast. So I'm your host, Jan, as always. And I'm here today with a podcast on the strengths of your intake staff and potentially the weaknesses of your intake staff. At the end of the day, any initiative that you take, whether it's inside marketing, outside marketing, word of mouth, referrals, even taking a co-counsel from another attorney, it's going to have to go to your intake staff unless you are a true solo. So I wanted to start this off with why this is top of mind. So I was talking with a friend of mine who's also in marketing, and he recently got a campaign live and the numbers are really good. But he said, Jan, I am really concerned because I was actually doing a training with this client's staff and they're just really stick. It's like sticks in the mud. It's almost as if they don't want this to work out. I'm not getting any sort of enthusiasm or anything like that. So I kind of turned around and I said, well, honestly, why would they, (laughs) you know, why wouldn't they want it? Why would they be enthusiastic? Why wouldn't they want to be a stick in the mud? And if you really look at the incentives to an intake person, they're kind of aligned to want to make these kind of campaigns fail. So I'm going to kind of go over a sort of goofus and gallant style take on good and bad intake people that we've worked with over the years at Case Fuel and hopefully illustrate some of the dynamics that lead to people backing this way. Uh, our first type of person is who I like to call the lifer. So this is the front desk person that you've known 10, 20, 30 years sometimes They've got the job security. They've been able to bend your ear as a trust advisor. Maybe they're part-time, maybe they're full-time, but you probably can't remember the last time you didn't have (laughs) any work situation going on with these people. So let's kind of go into the situation that let's say that my friend's clients intake people were facing. So let's say they got a list of five names that they're supposed to do follow-up on. And what usually happens in these situations, they usually don't do it or they push it till the day after when it's no longer relevant and the people are no longer interested in hiring an attorney for services or have gone to someone else. And that's usually what we see happening more of the times. So does this mean that these are bad people that want your business to fail? No, you've been working with them for 20 years or whatever. They just don't really have the incentives and like what's what's really in stake for them to go ahead and make those calls, right? So put yourself in their shoes. So you've got this list of people. Let's say it's three o'clock. You can clock out at five. You've got a big pile of client work that you got to get out of the door. Or you can psych yourself up to chase leads, cold call people, and and potentially miss out on doing anything. If, like, God forbid somebody picks up. (laughs) So you have to have an uncomfortable conversation. And then if they actually want to move forward, then you actually have to have more work. So if it's between doing the right thing by your boss and potentially missing dinner while you're sitting in rush hour traffic, and again, this might not be a super top of mind issue with everything that's going on with social distancing, but you can understand that people wouldn't necessarily be extremely excited to follow up on those leads. So sitting from your perspective in the lawyer chair, those leads might be worth $20,000 to your law firm if they all close, but to the person that's on the front desk, what part of that are they going to see? 
And in most instances, the answer to that is none. And, you know, we'll get into those other instances later. So in practice, everyone wants to assume that their employees have your best interest at heart, the business's best interest at heart. But I found it extremely rare to find somebody who cares that much. You know, if you were to ask somebody, hey, you know, do you care about the business? Is this something that's important to you? It's really easy to say yes to that. But time and time again, if it gets to the point of missing dinner or doing something that's going to be really uncomfortable for really no upside, most people don't do it. Because they're a lifer, this is kind of one of the the, the tough things about it, right? And they've been working with you. They've been getting paychecks from you for 10 or 20 years. What do you think is going to happen if something goes badly? They're almost like a tenured professor, right? Like there's pretty not that much that that the lifer can do in order to fall out of your good graces. And they have the ability to influence your decision on things. So basically, they're really going to avoid those calls most of the time. Now, we kind of went with the the individual micro expression of this, but let's kind of think about the bigger picture here. So what do you think that person wants to happen to this new marketing campaign? So let's think about this. We've got the five people that came today. We've got the five people that came tomorrow. Not only do you not want to deal with those people, you don't want to call. You're going to probably feel guilty if you don't. If you end up in a conversation with your boss, they might be mad at you if you didn't do something to their standards. And God forbid, if something ends up working well, now you have more work. So you've got this stuff that's already on your desk. And now we've got more clients. Damn, this sucks. Now we're going to have more clients to deal with on a given day. It really doesn't make sense. So if the campaign fails, what does that mean? They're probably going to get the same paycheck they got last pay period, and they're going to be doing less work for it. When you ask them what happened, are they going to say, hey, well, those five leads are all like solid gold. I just let them die on the vine because I'm negligent. No, you're never going to say that. (laughs) You're never going to hear that. And again, I don't think that most people are actively sabotaging them. I don't think people are consciously trying to make sure or like running through this calculus in their head of what more work do I have to do? But it's very, very easy to look for examples. Again, it's easy enough to look for examples that leads are bad when you have all the upside in the world. But think about all the the ways that you could look for things to be bad if somebody has no stake in in the upside. So overall, it's, it's a really tough situation. And again, a lot of the times here, if you're not keeping track of your employees, again, more on that later, it's really their word against yours. They could say, oh yeah, you know, we call these guys. I, I tried this guy a million times, left 20 like voicemails and they just never got back to him. It must be a bad lead. A lot of times when we've actually started tracking those things, we end up, and it's not the case. Again, it's like, again, not bad people, people just trying to cover for themselves and really why. Let's kind of explore something which is aligning incentives. This is a concept that I first heard about from Stephen Fairley from the Rainmaker Institute. And it's the concept of compensating based on you know, retained clients. So there's a huge standard for this in basically every industry that isn't legal. <laughs> if you look at most businesses, the highest paid individual outside of the CEO slash founder is usually the top paid salesperson. And it's for good reason, because sales are going to bring more revenue into the business. Ergo, it's worthwhile compensating somebody who can help you do that, right? And it's kind of anathema to law practices. But again, if you kind of look at it, it's probably something you've already done. Have you ever written a referral check to somebody, a co-counsel that's referred case to you? You probably have. Believe it or not, you've probably cut a 20% check for some cases you've got at some point along your career. Now, I'm definitely not saying that you should give your frontline employee 20% to close a lead that you paid to generate because they already have a paycheck that's already part of their job. They should be doing it. 
But, you know, you'd be surprised what incentives can do for people. So, again, I'm just going to run through some basic numbers. You know, let's say that you have an average retainer, and this would be pretty standard for a lot of criminal and family firms I speak to. Let's say it's $3,000 to work with you, right? To start, to put down the retainer. So if you were able to slice off $100 for your intake person, do you think you'd see more retainers or fewer retainers? I'd hazard a guess that you'd see more. And again, if it gets down to the point where, hey, should I miss dinner or make these calls? If a signed client is going to mean another $100, then yeah, I might consider making three or four extra calls. Even if it's a relatively low volume firm, you're closing 10 cases a month. If that frontline person is getting $100 on each case, you know, that's $1,000 a month. That's a that's a pretty meaningful bonus for most frontline staff and in most parts of the country, right? And again, this is just an example. There's all kinds of different ways to do it. I mean, I'm not going to get into the details of how you would classify this legally. Is it a bonus? It's certainly not a co-counsel. You know, how you incorporate it into your payroll software, that kind of thing. You know, honestly, there's a lot of details to work on and it's going to deal with state by state. But again, I want to plant the seed that there are firms that are doing this today. It's being recommended by some of the most successful people out there. And they might even be some of the bigger firms in your market that have some sort of a compensation structure built into their intake process. So again, I'm more of a honey than vinegar guy. But another thing to consider on the negative side of the balance sheet would be call recording. So again, if you don't have a bonus in place, and this is one of those things, I'm not a super cynical guy. I like to believe the best of people. But fortunately, when you record what people are doing, even if you're not really looking at it, there's sort of this panopticon effect where people will put more effort when they know they're going to be observed, even if it's the possibility of being observed. So, you know, worst case scenario, they've been kind of, you know, mailing it in or not doing the work, but, you know, we're not going to be able to let them be their own judge on that. Like I kind of remember back in the day when I was in grade school, we always got really great grades on the quizzes where it was, hey, why don't you guys just grade it yourself, right? And again, this isn't not necessarily somebody is the worst person on earth that they do that. It's just, you know, people tend to cut themselves breaks, right? So if you do have somebody who's looking to improve, though, um, and again, whether that's based on incentive or out of the goodness of their heart, you know, that will open the op- a lot of opportunity to coach and tweak process. So again, if you have somebody who's incentivized to get something extra from the, the leads that they're closing, then you guys are your incentives are aligned. They want to win as much as you do. And again, if you go back to that retainer you're getting the lion's share of what's that rightly so as the business owner. But you know, if you're making an extra $2,900, you shouldn't have any problem cutting a hundred dollar check for that. But again, what do you get out of that? People who are self-motivated. Yeah. I think call recording is, is a win-win. Uh, it's usually a pretty negligible cost. We use a software called Jubo leads, which starts around you know 30 bucks a month for that. And again, you know, you cover one retainer on that. You've just covered a couple years of the cost of that software. So, you know, as far as ROI goes, it's one of the higher ones that you could possibly do. Okay. And that kind of brings us to our other archetype. And I call this person the keener. This is actually a Canadian term that I learned. I I thought this was the funniest thing ever. I learned this when I was in school, but yeah, somebody who's keen, they're keen to figure stuff out. They're keen to work and it's great actually to work. It's very, very rare that you'll find the keener as a long-term employee with no upside. I would say 90% of people who start off this episode probably think their person who is the lifer is the keener. But again, it's it's very, very rare to find this. Although I have, you know, we have seen it in, in the course of work in case you all. On the order of, you know, over hundreds of clients, probably under 10, you could probably count them on two hands. So it's, it's, it's very, very rare to find these folks. Most of the times it's somebody who has upside, you know, whether it's a scheme that we kind of 
overviewed just earlier or, you know, something that that's a little bit more developed. Uh, and even if it was a recent change, so it is possible to turn the lifer into the keener by, you know, changing the, the incentives a little bit. But again, a lot of the times too, is we find this in a new employee. And the reason why this is totally different, you can even get new employees to do this without having some sort of a compensation structure. Not that you know, I think you should be skimping on that, but it's possible to do that because they don't have any bad habits to undo. So the lifer has this idea in their head of this is how we do things around here. So if you try to say, hey, look, you're going to do all this extra work and I'm still going to pay you the same. That's kind of a hard sell. But on, on the flip side, you've got a new employee. They have they're a blank slate, more or less. And, you know, they're probably eager to please. So again, if you set this as a standard, this is, this is how we do things around here. We try to close as many people as possible. Your calls, your calls are going to be recorded. And, you know, if we end up hitting such and such targets, these things will happen. You might not even have to have some sort of an incentive in place. So basically when you have this in place, again, it's, it's like, you know, it's all about setting expectations and whether there's some sort of a financial component or, you know, you're, you've just set the expectation that people are supposed to do this and they're going to be measured you can have a situation where it completely flips the script. So usually you have the situation where you have, you know, sometimes have to hawk over people and make sure that they're, they're doing their work because, you know, you're cracking the whip. So they do something that they don't want to do. But if you have the incentives in line and they, they're any sort of a motivated person, there's a good possibility that you're going to have people proactively bringing stuff to you that, you wouldn't be able to do yourself. Think about it. I mean, you're, you're busy enough running the practice and serving clients and all that kind of stuff. There's no possibility you could have the exposure to all the things that are happening on the phone with, with your people. So the odds are kind of messed up if you don't have something like this. So, you know, what are you going to do if you don't set up a situation where people are proactively bring stuff to you? And again, sometimes it really can just be a matter of making it worth their while. And, you know, sometimes that's not all you need. There are some people who need more coaching than others. But basically, the end goal here is you want to have somebody who's actually excited to pick up the phone instead of just kind of watching the clock countdown, figuring out how to do the least before they have to, to hit the road. And that's that. Just uh, wanted to plant that seed and let you guys know that a better future is out there. You just got to think about how to make it work for everyone that's involved. So if you like the content on this episode, we actually have a lot more like that. And we actually have a free course, which is called Double Your Case Files. If you just head over to casefield.com and uh, do anything to kind of trigger the exit pop-up window, that'll be an input where you put your name, phone, email, and then we'll go ahead and give you access to the videos on this. And we've got stuff like this. We've got scripts. We've got how to coach your intake staff, that kind of stuff. And the goal is to double. And uh, yes, that is as in 2x your case files. And there's enough slack. And the reason why that is in such a bold claim is because there's a lot of slack in most of the people we look into this for. Till then, stay tuned for another episode of the Law Firm Growth Podcast next Tuesday at 8 a.m. Eastern. Thank you for listening to the Law Firm Growth Podcast. For show notes, free resources, and more, head on over to casefuel.com slash podcast. Looking forward to catching up on the next episode.